0: There's a global microchip shortage. It is quite amazing when you think that just a component that, you know, is a couple of dollars can really halt the full production of um, a product that is, you know, tens of thousands of dollars.
1: It's estimated Canada will produce just 1.2 million vehicles this year. That's down from 1.4 last year and far below the pre-pandemic yearly average of 2.2 million And I have to buy a car. (laughs) Lucky me. Welcome to Ace a podcast from Statistics Canada, where we meet the people behind the data and explore the stories behind the numbers. I'm your host, Tegan. If you're like me, you've never heard the words supply chain before March 2020. And since then, you hear it all the time. You might have even heard that semiconductors are the new toilet paper, just like Wordle is the new sourdough starter. That's some pandemic humor for you. In all of this, I have to buy a car. This is definitely not the moment I would choose to buy a car if I had the choice. One salesman I spoke to said that his job had changed quite a lot. He used to only deal with the sales side of the business, selling cars to people who wanted to buy them. But his dealership was having trouble keeping enough cars on the lot. So, for the first time, he had been tasked with also finding used cars to sell. All that to say, it was definitely not business as usual in the used car market. To understand what's going on, I turned to a colleague at Statistics Canada.
0: Hi, my name's Andrew Barkley. I'm an economist with Statistics Canada.
1: I'm in the process of buying a used car, and it's much harder than I was expecting. It feels very competitive. By the time I've found a car online and decided I'm interested and reach out to the dealer, very often the car's already been sold. What's going on?
0: So, for for almost half a year now we've really started to see prices increase for for passenger vehicles and it's kind of a combination of of multiple factors associated with the supply chain associated with uh increased demand on the consumer side and 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 just all of these things kind of coming together and it, it obviously it creates problems for for people like you when when you're trying to Pick out that perfect car and hope that you can negotiate a deal and and all of those things.
1: You said the supply chain. What is the supply chain? I've been hearing that a lot lately, and I don't know if I've ever really heard it before.
0: So on a on a like very very simple level, uh, the supply chain is basically the process of of taking you know a product in its original state and then when it gets to you in its final state. So that could include things like you know, natural resources. So say how iron ore gets turned into aluminum or steel and, and, and all the way down to uh, eventually when you buy that car from that dealer and it's in your possession. So the whole supply chain is that from that raw resource all the way to um, you picking your car up.
1: And why is that term the supply chain why does that feel ever present in the news right now?
0: It's probably present in the news right now because we've seen kind of a unique, uh, a unique time for, for price increases. So inflation in December was at 4.8%. That's the highest it's been since the 1990s. And people are wondering why, why have those prices increased? And one of the, the, the clearest reasons is because of disruptions to the supply chain associated with you know, a number of factors, whether it's, it's COVID-19 and people staying home, or it's, it's other factors like increased demand or, or shifting demand for different products. And then when people want something and they want it now, and everybody else wants it now, those prices go up, and, and that's where you hear the talk of the supply chain coming into effect.
1: Is it just cars, or are there other products that have been affected?
0: It's pretty broad-based. We see, we see food prices being impacted by supply chains. We see um, household durables, things like appliances and furniture. Things that are imported um, from elsewhere in the world are, are oftentimes... Um, facing increased prices, and it's associated with, to, to some extent, it's associated with some of those supply chain disruptions that you've probably been hearing about.
1: And is this uniquely a Canadian problem, or is it bigger than that?
0: It's it's definitely bigger than that. Um, if you look if you look throughout the world, you'll, you'll probably an indicator to some extent of supply chain disruption is an increase in prices. And we're seeing it throughout, throughout the world, uh, from the United States, which had a, you know, a, an, uh, the highest rate um, of inflation since the ne- early 1980s, um, Europe, the UK, all of these countries are kind of experiencing um, much higher prices. And for the most, well, to some extent, it's being caused by supply chain disruptions.
1: You talked about COVID-19. What are some of the other causes of these supply chain disruptions?
0: So, so COVID-19 is is kind of a big overarching theme, and you can point to it directing other behaviors that that are also you know, partly responsible for, for some of these disruptions. So for instance, shipping containers have become a lot more expensive. So shipping good, goods from Asia has become a lot more expensive. And Canadians import certain products from Asia quite a bit. And those containers are both more expensive to ship and they're taking longer to get here. In the summer of 2019, it took about 40 to 50 days for a container to, on average, get from from Asia to, to North America. Now it's about 110 days. So that kind of disruption stems originally maybe from COVID because there was an expectation that The downturn that was predicted with COVID-19 would be similar to the downturn that happened during the financial crisis in 2008. And that was that world trade would slow down. And actually, the opposite happened. A lot of governments around the world supported incomes in probably unprecedented ways. So people were all of a sudden living at home and, and they were looking to, say, improve their house or, or their immediate surroundings. I mean, we, we heard a lot of things about, you know, the, the sourdough revolution of everyone was was making sourdough at home. Well, the Canadians took that that time to, to improve their immediate surroundings. They bought couches, they bought furniture, they bought those types of things. And that wasn't really necessarily expected. And you had... You had to ramp up production or you had to to, to change supply chains to meet this, this new type of demand. So in a, in, in a way, it all kind of stems from COVID. Um, but there are kind of these secondary results that have occurred. There's other things that are more direct, things like um, absences from work. So we've had, you know, slaughterhouses shut down because of COVID outbreaks within them, and that obviously impacts the price of meat. It is very overarching, and, and it probably still comes down to um, mostly COVID impacting things and impacting behavior.
1: And what are some of the consequences of the supply chain disruption that consumers might see, you know, on a day-to-day basis or even um, in a bigger way?
0: We sometimes focus on, say, the, the more affordability issues, the issues that people are dealing with on a regular basis, and that would be things like food prices or gasoline prices. And food is probably the biggest thing that people see on a, on a daily basis. And food prices are, are really interesting because, um, I mean, we're all consumers, right? You and I are a consumer, and I see it when I go into the store. And... That's probably the most um, the most relevant area where Canadians really see it on on a regular basis, and that's where you get in you know shipping fees. That's where you get in weather related incidents. That's where you get into um, production related industries where for any product that that has any type of like you know refinery kind of process. So like meat has to go through the slaughterhouse, but meat prices are influenced by how how cheap it is to feed the animal, how much labor costs, how much it, how much it costs to ship to the abattoir, uh, all of those prices go into things, and and um, it's it's probably the, the the most relevant where people see it on a, on a real day to day basis.
1: Is some amount of ebb and flow of product availability to be expected? Um, is it possible that we're just so used to having? whatever we'd like to buy at our fingertips and maybe that's actually the unusual thing.
0: So I I think that there is perhaps there is a level of impatience amongst modern consumers. I don't know that I have data to to completely back that up. But I think that that some of those expectations are based on kind of the recent experiences of consumers where they haven't experienced shortages or they haven't experienced having to wait um, long periods of time. And I think much of that new experience can be partially attributable to COVID-19 and the pandemic and how producers have ha- kind of had to you know, jump back and forth about but what they can expect from demand or what they can expect consumers to want you know like i always talk about the the opening and the closing of restaurants and how producers of of food um, have to change between the expectations of grocery stores and the expectations of restaurants about what type of product they want and what type of product is consumed in each of those locations. So when we eat food at home versus when we eat food at a restaurant is oftentimes you know, a totally different manufacturing process for, for food processors. So when you think about any type of baking that, that you do, uh, oftentimes you'll have a certain, certain sized bag of flour Well, that's a different bag of flour for the restaurant because they're obviously dealing with with higher volumes than than you are as a you know someone feeding your family those manufacturers have to have to shift what the consumer wants in one case the consumer is the restaurant in the other case the consumer is is you or i who are purchasing at a grocery store and those kinds of shifts aren't they don't happen quickly If they do happen quickly then they still have costs associated with them and those higher costs are are going to be pushed along to the consumer now the problem is that they also take time and those those time lags is where it runs into probably maybe addressing what you asked about the just in time kind of consumption that we we hope to have the other core element is that it is a unique period in recent history around where disposable income is and where it can go. So I don't want to, I don't want to minimize anyone's experience during the pandemic or minimize anyone's um, struggles to kind of make ends meet during the pandemic. But, there has been a tremendous amount of savings going on in the economy. So for six consecutive quarters, we've had double digit savings. And a lot of that uh, savings has gone towards new houses or houses in general. And we can see it, you know, with, with the housing market in the state that it is. But a lot of that money has also go, gone towards paying down debt and other things. But it also hasn't gone towards travel or going out to dinner Or things like that and it's gone towards the same thing for everyone and that includes you know improving your immediate surroundings so maybe buying that new big-screen TV or buying that new furniture and when everyone's doing it at the same time then that just in time becomes problematic because producers aren't used to waves of demand you know, they're used to more consistent, gradual demand or continuous demand as opposed to kind of everybody purchasing it at the same time. It's probably also reflective in some of the increase that we've seen in purchasing of passenger vehicles. So cars have become more expensive. Part of the story is um, the semiconductor issue. But another part of the story is that uh, Canadians, as as uh, public health measures have... have um, have been removed, Canadians can travel again, Canadians can drive around again, and that putting off of a purchase. So why would you buy a car when you can't do anything with the car? It doesn't really make sense. So when you can do something, then Canadians start to consume it. And then since we're all doing it at the same time, it leads to shortages or it leads to price increases.
1: What's the link between supply chain disruptions and inflation?
0: Supply chain disruption um, would, would kind of have multiple impacts. The, the first is that um, you probably have lower production or an item is, is stuck somewhere. You know, in the case of personal passenger vehicles or, or cars, um, a lot of the cars have been finished. They just need this semiconductor chip to be added. That car can't go to the consumer at that point in time. So, because there's fewer cars, you know, it, it, it's a simple economics one hundred and one. You know, there's there's high demand or there's stable demand or or something associated with demand is stable, and you have lower production. So you have more people chasing fewer products. That leads to higher prices. Yeah,
1: we've. T- about a bunch of different factors which as you say you know weather might not necessarily be considered a part of the supply chain but it certainly has an effect so you know weather labor you're talking about shipping container issues COVID 19 consumer behavior and and, uh, purchasing patterns consumers who for whatever reason have access to more cash there are a lot of different factors at play here and yet we talk about the supply chain as though it's a simple issue to fix but that's not the case at all is it
0: no 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 you're you're absolutely right in your your analysis um it's it's complicated and it, it's um there are there are many factors kind of at play if we take something like like semiconductors you know a couple of years ago now, but back in the before times, as I as I say, you know there was there's a lot of political conflict associated between some superpowers, and there was concern among certain telecommunications firms that they might be cut off from access to markets, and the they behaved accordingly. Now other telecommunications companies in the same industry saw what was happening and rep, uh, behaved in a similar way. Now, that that indirectly, you know, led to supply chain issues. And when COVID happened, auto companies responded in a certain way with certain expectations about planning. And once those projections or those expectations were proved incorrect, they had to change their behavior again. And, And by that point, they were kind of at the bottom of the queue for semiconductors. And all of those things are, are really interconnected. So it, it comes from telecommunications to, you know, political situations to, um, to demand to COVID. And it is, it is very interrelated and, and, um, things can influence kind of other things, um, for food prices, for instance, um, Natural gas is a key input in food prices. And, um, you know, a particularly cold winter in Europe can drive up international prices for, for natural gas, which influence the, price, the input prices that go into food, which then influence the price of food manifesting itself for consumers.
1: What do you hope listeners get out of this episode?
0: First of all, I think it's really important that that we recognize that we're kind of all in this together and that higher prices are, are frustrating for all of us. And I, I certainly sympathize with everyone's kind of experience. I think what we maybe should be focused on is that you know, supply chains aren't the sole reason for why prices are increasing. And it's not necessarily a clear causation between supply chain disruption, and then an automatic rising in prices. There's lots of factors that go into prices, and there's lots of determinants of prices. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's mostly supply and demand, but there are other things that are happening. And um, I want to emphasize that it, it, it is complex. I think the complexity that's associated with higher prices aren't strictly down to supply chain factors. There are a handful of other things that are happening, whether that's um, firms changing prices, whether that's higher demand, whether that's um, disruptions to the supply chain or disruptions in general um, that can factor into prices. When things change, it generally manifests itself in higher prices for consumers. So if things can kind of get back to quote unquote normal, And um, consumers start to behave the way or or we start to consume in the way things were prior to the onset of the pandemic, then that's when we can kind of expect more stability in prices, more stability in that price change area.
1: If someone would like to learn more about the supply chain, where can they go?
0: Where you can go, I think, to kind of understand where prices are changing the most for you uh, as a Canadian or as a consumer is to visit the, the personal inflation calculator.
1: If you heard our recent episode on inflation, you might already be familiar with the personal inflation calculator. This tool lets you see how much you're being affected by inflation by calculating your own personal inflation rate. Find it on the StatCan website.
0: Everyone really has their own uh, experience with inflation. You know, there's a difference between, say, someone who's a homeowner versus someone who rents or someone who's a vegetarian versus someone who, who consumes meat products. And using that personal inflation calculator, you can really see perhaps how those supply chains are eventually manifesting themselves in, um, in higher prices for you uh, individually.
1: For example... My personal inflation rate is now going to be affected by gas prices because, good news, I managed to buy a car. It's a sedan, it's blue, and I'm happy. You've been listening to a Thank you to Andrew Barkley for taking the time to answer all of our questions. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. There, you can also find the French version of our show called Écoutez Bien. If you liked this show, Please rate, review, and subscribe. This is the last episode of Season 2, so we'd like to take the opportunity to thank everyone who contributed. Thank you to Janelle Ba, Sarah Matsu Galazzi, Martin Charlebois, <laughs> Alexandra Bassa, and Tony Colasante for production support, and to the subject matter experts and the many other internal teams who support this show. Audio Engineering by Max Zimmerman and Jesse James McCutcheon. The logo was created by Vincenzo Germano. Thank you to Annick Lepage and Mark Bazinet for steering this ship. My name is Tegan Bridge, and I've been your host. And thanks to you for listening.